welcome our internet audience to this service today. What a joy it is to realize that not only do we speak to the visible, but we speak to the invisible as well. Of course, we have some invisible members of our church. They say, I won't be there Sunday, I'll send my spirit. Now that frightens me a little bit. But we're so glad not only to have this fine congregation present, but people from other parts of the world. And we are in contact with some of these folk, and they give us great encouragement to know that even though they live in difficult places and difficult circumstances, they're able by the grace of God to hear the gospel, and that's good news regardless of where you might live. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter number 5. The book of Revelation, chapter number 5. It's a little lengthy, but oh, how sweet the word of God is. My wife, once in a while... She'll make me a a pie or a pudding, a banana pudding. Kind of favor that I like. Like if she brings it out in a small bowl, I'm thankful for that. But when she brings it out in a great big bowl, I'm even more thankful for that. So because. The reading is a little lengthy. It's still good and it's still precious. Revelation chapter number 5. I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, the four and twenty elders, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book 
to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You need to underscore that. Not too much raining today. Got a few politicians here and there. They rain and strut about like God in heaven only knows. But one day the saints of God are going to reign on this earth. I beheld and heard the voice in verse 11. The many angels round about the throne. The beasts, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And I know the Lord will bless the reading of his word for a text in verse number 12 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I want to talk to you this morning and endeavor to preach to you today on the subject, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. What we have here is a scroll not so much of a book as we think books are, but this is a scroll written both on the front side and also it's on the back side and it's sealed with seven seals. I believe this scroll is the title deed to the earth that you and I live on. And not only is it the title deed to this earth, but it is who owns it. Who owns it? You see, the opening of these seals is found in chapter 6 of Revelation. I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and that's a further study indeed. But it is a scroll. It's a very important scroll containing the title deed of this earth and who owns it. Have you ever wondered who owns it? My mother, who's been dead now in presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for many, many years, used to bring her out to Texas and uh, see a lot of land out here. Of course, I went to Alaska, and I forgot about the large pieces of land. And tell you, you're talking about a large place. Alaska's a pretty big place, too. But my mother would invariably ask, Danny, who owns all this land? Who owns all this property? Well, have you ever wondered who owns the earth? Who 
is the proper owner of the earth. It's sealed in a scroll, and that scroll is sealed with seven seals. May I remind you that initially the ownership of this earth was given to Adam in the Garden of Eden to rule. I remind you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, these words. God blessed them, that is, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Bring it unto your subjection. Exercise dominion over this earth. Have dominion over the fish of the sea. Have dominion over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God gave that ownership to Adam. But after the fall, Adam sublet that ownership to the devil. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God made it very clear to Adam, In the day that thou eatest thou of, thou shalt surely die. Adam lost that authority. He lost that dominion when he ate the forbidden fruit. He was no longer the owner of the earth. Isn't it also strange that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, Satan became the god of this world the governor of this world, the instigator of things that happen all over this earth. He has used his puppets, that is Satan, has used his puppets to control much of the activity on this earth with such men as Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, the Caesars of Rome, Napoleon, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, and the Muslims. Now verses 2 and 4, we see there's some consternation here. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book or the scroll and to look inside as to find out who the owner was, you see. Much consternation is present because no one can be found who is worthy of the privilege of breaking those seals and opening up the contents. But until it's opened, church, until it's opened, the contents cannot be known. Its ownership cannot be declared. In verses 5 through 7, which we read, the Lord Jesus Christ steps forth and claims ownership of the title, deed, of this earth and is the only one that's worthy to open it. In verses 8 through 14, records a great jubilation that breaks out involving all of God's creatures in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea. They begin 
to praise the worthy Lamb of God. For he alone is worthy to open the seals and reveal the contents of the scroll. Very important statement here. If the scroll cannot be opened, if the scroll cannot be opened, the earth cannot be redeemed. And if the earth cannot be redeemed, the king will never reign on this earth. It's so important that the scroll is opened. Notice, if you would please, first of all, it is as a lamb that the Lord Jesus is worthy to open it. Look again at verse number 12. The Bible says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That word worthy, worthy. It is a Greek word axios, which means deserving. Only Christ is deserving of this honor. Not the preacher, not the deacons, not the teachers, not even the healers, but a lamb. He alone is worthy to open it up. John the Baptist saw this when he was preaching one day and his attention left the people he was talking to and he pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He steps forth. He steps forth. The Bible says in verse 7 that this lamb came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. You have this picture of God the Father sitting on the throne and Christ Jesus at the right hand. And when no one, no one could be found worthy to open up the scroll and break the seals, the Lord Jesus Christ says to the Father, give me the scroll. He takes the scroll. He and he alone is worthy to do that. He steps forth. I like that. He steps forth from the right hand of the Father and assumes that position. He steps forth as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Did you notice that in verse number 5? One of the elders saith, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That speaks of his ability, his strength, his power. Not only does he want to open the scrolls of the book, but he has the power and the authority to open the scrolls of this book. His ability, his power, his strength. He's the king of beasts, the lion. For some time, my wife and I lived in Abilene, Texas. And to make a living in West Texas, you got to do one thing, and the same thing, if you're going to make a living in East Texas, go to work. you got to find a job. And I had a job of delivering the Dallas Morning News 
not the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, but the Dallas Morning News. I was the agent over Abilene, Texas, to get up every morning at 3 o'clock and go down to the train station and get the papers and take them to all the drug stores and hotels and things of that nature. In the south part, I don't know how familiar you are with Abilene, but in the south part of Abilene, there is a zoo or was a zoo. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, you could hear this sound. A mile, two miles away, it was coming from a lion that had slept too long and was yawning. And you could hear that whoa, whoa, at 3 o'clock in the morning, exercising his authority over all of the other animals. We've come to say that the lion is the king of beasts. Jesus Christ is worthy to open up the seals. He steps forth as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He steps forth as the root of David. Now this speaks of his right to reign. He is the son of God. Do you remember in the first chapter of Luke, verses 31 through 33, Gabriel was talking with Mary and expressing to her the fact that she would be chosen to bear the Son of God. And in describing this birth, she said, He, referring to Christ, shall sit on the throne of his father David. Now, isn't that strange? You don't run too much into that till you get over to the New Testament. And you also find out that one day there was a man by the name of Bartimaeus who was born blind and he was placed by the roadside and he heard that Christ was coming that way and he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He realized that Christ had the right to do that. Not just the power to do it, but he had the authority and the right to do that. He steps forth as the lamb slain, exercising his transaction for sin, his payment to reign. He bought his kingdom on this earth, on the cross of Calvary. He paid for it in full. The lamb slain, he also steps forth standing. Did you notice the scripture uses that word? He stepped forth standing. He came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Notice he wasn't hanging on a cross and he wasn't laid out in a tomb, but he was standing alive, ready to take that responsibility. It is as a lamb that Jesus Christ is worthy. Now there are reasons for his worthiness reasons for his worthiness. The Lord Jesus is worthy to break the seals on this scroll. He's worthy to assume the authority and ownership of this earth because of creation. Of creation. Where did the world come from? Where did the earth come from? In Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11, it is the owner who deserves to hold the title deed, is it not? The earth belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so? Because he made it. 
You say, well, I thought God made it. You catch your know, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. John 1, 3, you can jot these references down. John 3, 1, verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him all things were created and that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. They're held together. Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 2 hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom he also made the worlds. That's why he alone is worthy to take the book and break the seals on it and to deliver the contents of the scroll. In Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, I love this one especially, the earth is the Lord's. Did you hear that? The earth is the Lord. Doesn't belong to the Republicans, doesn't belong to the Democrats. The earth is the Lord's. Worthy is the Lord. Reasons for worthiness is because Worthy by creation. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Second of all, a reason for his worthiness, not only because of creation, but because of Calvary. Notice verses 9 through 10 of our initial reading. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. Thou wast slain, underscore that, Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on this earth. Worthy by creation and worthy by Calvary. Not only does he own this earth upon which he shall reign, but he purchased the people who shall rule with him on this earth. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 and 20 through 22. Speaking of Christ who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Worthy 
because he owns the earth, worthy because he purchased our sins on the cross of Calvary, and thirdly, worthy by conquest. Notice the reading of verse 5. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and the emphasis is hath prevailed, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. He's worthy because of his victorious conquest. He was the victor in everything he ever put his hand to do. He succeeded in everything he endeavored to accomplish. He has prevailed. Did he not prevail against the devil in the wilderness temptations? They came to him in Matthew, the devil is. Satan himself approached Christ in Matthew chapter 4. If you be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. The Lord had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Humanly speaking, he was very, very hungry. And the devil struck at that to bring him down. But it didn't work even from jumping off the high tower of the cliff or the high tower of the temple, angels would bear thee up. And finally, he said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And Satan left him. Who prevailed in that? The devil didn't prevail. The Lord Jesus Christ prevailed. He prevailed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did he not? After he left his disciples, they came to a certain place and he took some of them with him in Matthew 26, 36 through 46 and he began to pray out to the Lord, O God, if it be thy will, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be thine, but thine be done. I can see the devil present. I can visualize the demons that must have been in that garden and Satan, the father of the demons, might have said to him, He's getting weaker and weaker. He's getting ready to cash it in now. But he always said, not my will, but thine be done. He emerged the victor in Gethsemane. He prevailed in conquering death and the grave by his resurrection. Did he not say in John, I've got the power to lay my life down. I've got the power to take it in. He is the prevailer. He is the one the Lamb of God. And then you have the presentation of his worthiness. And it is applicable in every detail. Look at verses 2 through 4. The search for the worthy one. Somebody has got to open the scroll. Somebody has to break the seals. If you don't open the scroll, if you don't break the seals you're not going to have a kingdom on this earth ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Question, who can do this? Sometimes when you find something needs to be done around your house, if you can't do it, you begin to seek help from others. Well, listen, do you know somebody could do this? for? I've got a job to be done. There was this idea that the scrolls must be opened and the seals must be broken. Now, who's going to do it? A search for the worthy one. Look at verses 2 through 4. Wish I could spend the rest of the time just there, but I can't. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within 
on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals? Now watch this, folk. Who's going to do it? Quite frankly, it's just my opinion, this strong angel mentioned in verse 2 is none other probably than one of the archangels. But the point being is, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. I wept much because no man was found worthy. Now the implication is somebody was looking to find a worthy one. They were looking to find somebody that could do the job. But no man was found worthy to open or to read the book, neither to look thereon. Worthiness cannot be found in mankind. You can look every day of your life. You can search all the world around you, my dear friend. You'll never find one that's able to do this. No man can. Romans 3, 10 and 23, there's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They couldn't find anybody. It is not that the angels went out and they sought and they sought and finally they said, oh, we select this one and they select it. No, that, 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 that's not taught in the scripture. The report that came back was not positive we have found him. The report came back and said, we don't know what we're going to do. We can't find anybody that qualifies. We can't do it. That's when Christ steps up to the Father and says, I'll take the scroll. John the Baptist, the Lord said on one occasion, there's not a one greater than John the Baptist. Yet it was John who was not worthy to even carry the shoes of Jesus Christ. John said to Christ, I have need to be baptized of thee. John can't qualify. Moses was the greatest leader in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 3, Yet Christ was worthy of more glory than Moses. Paul was the greatest apostle, yet considered himself, what, chiefest of sinners. Isaac asked, where is the lamb? That's the question here. Where is the lamb? Where is the worthy one that can do this? He had been taken by his father up to Mount Moriah to be offered as a sacrifice. And in route to the top of that mountain, he noticed they had wood, they had fire. But he said, Father, I don't see any, any animal. I don't see a sacrifice. And the answer was, God will provide himself a sacrifice for our sins. The selection of the worthy one. Look at verses 5 through 7. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, you don't have to cry anymore. we got some good news for you. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the root of David. He's prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, the seven horns means complete authority. The seven eyes means complete knowledge, which 
are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. There were no descending votes in heaven. There were no descending votes on earth. They didn't take a popularity vote and say, well, let's see if we can get a, heron, a big enough vote to, to, to get him in. No. no, they just all began to sing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And verses 8 through 14 is the song about that Lamb. They sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book in verse 9. You are worthy to open the seals thereof. You have slain, been slain, and has redeemed us to God by your Son, and saving people by your blood out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation, and made us unto our God kings and priests, and we're going to reign on this earth. And they just kept on singing. I believe the noise, the volume of it began to swell. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them. And my calculator just couldn't handle this number. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Incidentally, that's more than 100 million. 100 million I know the damage one angel can do. What are you going to do when you get a hundred million of them put together? And they're all praising the Lord, lifting up their voices. What are they saying? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There is a verse in Psalm 18.3. David says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Have you ever thought about the praise that is generated over Hollywood actors and actresses and musicians and people who are, have been blessed with certain talents and, and things of that nature. I will call upon the Lord. He is worthy and only is he worthy to be praised. My dear friend, he's worthy of your love. He's worthy of your devotion. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your service. He's worthy of your sacrifice. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your money. He's worthy of everything. Man is worthless. I was talking with my wife earlier this morning as we were making plans to come to the service. I said, there's a difference in teaching and preaching. There is a difference in teaching and preaching. Now, let me give you some opinions here. These, these is my opinion. Probably not worth any more than your opinions. John MacArthur is a great teacher 
of the Word of God. Chuck Swindoll is a great teacher of the Son of God. Many outstanding pastors today are great teachers, but they don't preach a whole lot. There's a difference in preaching. Jeremiah was a preacher. Amos was a preacher. Amos was born in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he packed his bags and headed to the ten northern tribes up in Samaria. And when he got into town, he said, you need to prepare to meet God. He's a preacher. Difference in preaching. Difference in teaching. Many times after teaching, we go away and we say, boy, that's great. I learned some things this morning. But when we get preached to, we go out and say, oh, my goodness. Who's been talking to the preacher, you know? Jacob prepares to leave Laban. Remember that in the Old Testament? He lived with Laban for 20 years. I don't know how in the world they put up with each other. But nonetheless, after leaving Laban, the message came to Jacob. Guess what, Jacob? Esau's coming. (laughs) And they had to meet his brother, who he thought was coming to find him and to kill him. And Jacob made this statement in Genesis 32.10, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Jacob said that. Do you realize, if you know anything spiritually today, God showed it to you. It wasn't because of your diligent study. Now, diligent study is a requirement to be sure, but you don't know what you know because you got it yourself. It's revealed by the God of heaven. Man is worthless and deserves nothing but hell. I preface that with this statement. There's a difference in teaching and preaching. Notice the caption on television, I believe last night. I was watching a, was it last night? I guess it was last night. I was watching this great big religious gathering. It was called the Cowboys in Arizona or something. In, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, when I was watching that, they inserted a little caption that said, do you know, are you going to go to heaven or not? Are you going to go to heaven or not? That's teaching. Are you going to go to heaven? Are you going to go to hell? That's preaching. Isn't it amazing? People like to soften it up a little bit. Jacob said, I'm not worthy of all of you, least of your mercies. Were you to ask Judas Iscariot how much Jesus Christ was worth to him? He must have thought, it's pretty good now. I need, need some inflow. I need some cash. Getting pretty thin. Uh, let me see what I, I can bargain. What is Jesus Christ worth to me? Come on, Judas, tell me all about it. Well, I'll tell you what. 
I believe we'd do business if you give me 30 pieces of silver. And he sold the Lord out for 30 pieces of silver. Before we are so quick to judge Judas, have we not at some time in our life sold him out for less than that? That's switching from teaching to preaching. We need both. What would you say? I hope you'd join me in saying about Christ, worthy is the Lamb. Let's stand, please, for prayer.